0: Welcome to Days of Roar, Detroit Tiger Podcast, brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Santa Claus Gorash. I am here with Evan Petzold, beat writer of the Detroit Free Press and my lunch partner. Merry Christmas in the the next few days, Ev. You did a little work this week. How's everything going, buddy?
1: Yeah, busy week as always, but just coming off a really good family Christmas party. So that was a blast. Got to go up to the Frankenmuth area, see extended family. So it was me and and my wife. We went up there and got a chance to see everybody, which is always great. It's fun to see the cousins and all the little kids, the little, little cousins now, because all my cousins are having kids. Right. So all the little cousins are, you know, running around, they're talking, they're playing their games. And so it's fun to be able to run around with them and and have a good time. It's always a blast seeing everybody. (laughs) Yeah, Gorosh's
0: will be having their celebration. We have a grandchild hopefully coming into town soon, and he is a lucky one, that boy, because he gets to celebrate both Hanukkah and Christmas, and we're under strict instructions to stop buying toys because there's already too many. So looking forward to doing that. We had a little lunch this week. We ventured into
1: Birmingham and ate at social. The food was quite good, was it not, Ev? Yeah, the food was amazing. Look, when you go somewhere and you sit down, I know I'm getting a burger. That's kind of my go-to anywhere I go. That's a place like that, right? You go sit down, you want to get a burger. But before that, you want to get an appetizer. When I look up and down the appetizer list, I try to find something that I'm really going to like. And I love truffle fries, right? And when I go and I get truffle fries, you know, there's a place that we go in Troy, Savannah and I do. and, And they're kind of like all broken down into little bits and pieces. And I don't like that as much. And so social though, the truffle fries are nice and long, normal fry shape. And and they were excellent. So that was a really good starter. And then the burger was great. And then obviously, you know, having a great conversation um, with you and being able to spend some time with you in person, as opposed to, you know, just over the computer, the way that we do our thing every week. Um, I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was a blast.
0: And I made you try some crispy Brussels sprouts, which are go-tos at social. You uh, you whined about it a little bit, but then you tasted them and you didn't throw up, but you didn't eat anymore no, after the bad. first. But you didn't eat anymore after the first bite, but they were good. Socially, has some great salads, and we're kind of doing a commercial for them. But it's an outstanding lunch brunch place, and more if you want it. And it's really fun in the summertime when you can go eat outside. But we <clears throat> hired an agent at lunch because we've been blowing up so big, didn't plan on it. But we invited the beautiful and smart and fiery Savannah Petzold to lunch with us. And by the time we left, we
1: decided to make her our agent. So I, I thought it was a very productive business lunch. It was. And she's working pro bono for us too. So, I mean, we really got it going on right now. I mean, we're in a good place. Well, I don't necessarily... Agree on the pro bono.
0: I I think if if she creates some monetary opportunities, I'm more than happy to compensate. I, but we'll I, see what happens. I I think I think that's it's a big part of incentivizing a good job is you got to reward a good job. So, but yeah, I'm excited about that. And if I was Gannett, I'd be a little nervous. I I I don't think they understand, you know, the type of representation we have now and. I would be a little concerned. Hey, master's degree from U of M coming right at you. So, all right, well, let's get into the baseball. There were some baseball things this week, Ev. And as Scott Harris keeps adding piece by piece by piece, his offseason looks like he's trying to build out a roster of actual major league players. Let's get into the big two. Question number one of the big two. The Tigers signed Jack Flaherty to a one-year, $15 million contract. Why Jack Flaherty? And what do we think about this uh, addition?
1: I found it interesting because going back early in the offseason, I heard the Tigers were interested in Luis Severino. Severino obviously signed a deal with the New York Mets, and I heard the Tigers had put in a competitive offer, but you know, Severino just wanted to go to the Mets because of the manager they hired there, and you know, they have history with, you know, their time together in New York. And so the Tigers seemingly pivoted to Jack Flaherty. So yeah, one year, 14 million. I think it's an interesting deal because this guy is a seven year um, MLB veteran. If you want to call him a veteran, I think that might be fair at this point, considering how long he's been around but he also just turned 28 in mid October. So he is relatively young. He can earn up to a million dollars in start-based incentives. If he makes, you know, 30 starts, he's going to get the full $1 million dollars, which pushes the value of the deal to 15 million. It's interesting because he used to be really good, right? We go back and we look at Jack Flaherty in 2019. It was a 2.75 ERA, 55 walks, 231 strikeouts over 196 in a third innings in 33 starts. Fastball and slider were elite finished fourth in National League Cy Young voting, 13th in NL MVP voting. But then there were some shoulder injuries. 2021, 2022, he was limited to 26 games, which included 23 starts. In 2021 and 2022, he was able to stay fully healthy this season, which is why I I think maybe it makes some sense and why the Tigers liked the idea of Jack Flaherty is because at the very least, he has shown that he can stay healthy and he's going to eat innings for you. I think that that's maybe a potential you know, nice fallback. But the numbers weren't any good. 499 ERA, 66 walks, 148 strikeouts, 144 in a third innings and 29 games. St. Louis Cardinals, Baltimore Orioles. I do think that there it was nice to see that he was able to be traded from the Cardinals to the Orioles at the trade deadline and he was traded to for three minor league players, which is encouraging because that tells me that he has value to other teams in the league. So even though, sure, he begins the season as a starter for the Tigers, but depending on his performance, they could trade him, move him to the bullpen or keep him in the rotation. He's an obvious trade candidate of the Tigers that aren't in playoff contention. The fact that the Orioles were able to tr- were willing to trade three players for him at the deadline last year tells him at least he has some value. So it's not like you're going to be stuck with nothing if you get to the trade deadline. You're out of playoff contention and you don't want him anymore and you need to make a move. So I think those are some of the positives. But again, like the underlying numbers, Mark, they're just not very good. My question for you is, okay, how do you fix him now? right? Because the, the expected ERA is, is no good. The, the velocity is down. The command is not as good anymore as it used to be. I'm not seeing as many positive things. How do you get the most out of Jack Flaherty? Because the Tigers obviously believe they can do that with Chris Fetter and Robin Lund. All right, before we dig into the numbers,
0: and you and I had to talk about the numbers, I dived pretty deep into them, as you usually do also. But I got a few questions for you before we touch on that. So I, I always look at player transactions kind of like real estate. So I think Jack Flaherty... Reminds me of a house flip, and Mark Gorosh has been known to do a few house flips. He's not a new build. He's a house flip. (laughs) The question is, you always ask yourself when you do a flip, what's the upside? What are we looking at? And what do I not know when I start tearing the walls apart? Okay. And I have some concerns here because you also have something called in business opportunity cost, which means... If I'm working on this project, what project am I not working in? So that's the first thing I'm going to ask you. Jack Flaherty, you paid him $14 million. You know what $14 million guarantees you? Access, opportunity. He's getting access and opportunity at the expense of somebody else because they paid him $14 million. So when we ask ourselves that question, Who's having their opportunity diminished? And it's very possible the person who's having their opportunity diminished is a better pitcher than Jack Flaherty. So, right now on paper, just in pecking order, who do you think that is? I got my idea.
1: Well, like, and that's what I said, right? You know, he's going to join the starting rotation at the beginning of the season, no matter what happens in spring training. He could be awful in spring training. And he's going to be in that starting rotation because again, he's making $14 million. So he's going to be joining a rotation that could consist of Tarek Skubel, Kent Maeda, Reese Olson, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Sawyer, Gibson, Long. That looks like the, the the group right there. So that's seven pitchers. You're only going to take five in your rotation. I would be shocked if they went with a six man. I, maybe they could do that, but if let's say they go with five, then Sawyer Gibson Long is going to be in triple a and, Reese Olson, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, is, is Casey Mize maybe not ready for the opening day roster? Are they maybe worried that he's not going to be able to pitch right out of the gate? I don't want to say that um, as a fact yet, because I don't know if that's true, but maybe it's Casey Mize insurance because, hey, this guy's coming back from the, the Tommy John in the back, and you know maybe he has to start in Toledo and, and help ramp him up but it sure seems like Sawyer Gibson Long is the one that gets the boot here if they go with a six-man rotation, but what if they go with a five-man rotation? Is it Matt Manning? Is it Reese Olsen? That, that doesn't seem fair to me. I think both those guys are, are deserving of a spot in the rotation. I'm not the biggest Matt Manning fan because of the underlying metrics, but that doesn't mean that I don't think he should be in the starting rotation in the big leagues. And, and Reese Olson, I think he did more than enough to prove that he's able to be in the rotation. I think if you would have went last year and you would have said, hey, the Tigers are in the playoffs, who are you starting? You probably would have said, hey, look, Tarek Skubal, Reese Olsen, Eduardo Rodriguez. Like those would have been your three guys to start in the postseason if you needed three starters, right? Like, like Reese Olsen was in that group because he was really good. And now you've locked down Kenta Maeda. You've locked down Jack Flaherty. You have Tarek Skubal in there. Casey Mize, you presume he's going to be in the rotation. Matt Manning, Reese Olson, Sawyer, Gibson, Longer on this weird bubble. and And I don't really like that. Well, you know, what I'll say
0: about this is on paper, and often on paper is kind of meaningless because pitchers get hurt. So sometimes these questions seem puzzling in December and January. And by March, they sort themselves out. But on paper today, I would, I would be a little concerned if I was Reese Olsen. I, I would. The Tigers are not demoting Matt Manning no matter what anybody thinks. And I think we talked about a, this a little last week. I mean, if you take out the three worst starts in Matt Manning's last 27 starts, the other 24 starts, he has a 246 ERA. So
1: Yeah, but he's got two options, so he better show up yeah. and pitch well in spring, I think.
0: Not worried about it. Uh, I, you know, I think the Tigers think more highly of Matt Manning than many fans do. And, you know, I would not be shocked if they made a trade. The question is, what kind of trade are they going to make? We'll start seeing things loosen up in the month of January as players come off the board in free agency and teams start understanding what they need. And I think a pitcher that has three years of control and some history of success is going to be attractive to some people. Some teams manage their payroll that way and we'll we'll see what happens with that it would not shock me but I agree on that
1: completely no no way I agree on that completely though but again the Tigers obviously went out and got Jack Flaherty on a one-year deal knowing that he could eat innings because they need somebody to eat innings that, that's the problem is you know you have Casey Mize coming back from a surgery two surgeries actually you have Tarek Skubal coming back from this flexor tendon surgery that he had and he came back and he pitched the you know second half of the year last season but again he doesn't have a full season under his belt he's going to be Innings are going to be limited in some way, you'd have to think. It's not like this guy can just be expected to go out there and shove a ton of innings. Like There might have to be some monitoring for him. The Tigers are going to be very careful with their starting pitchers. Kentamaeda coming back from a, a Tommy John surgery and another injury. And I know that he's a veteran guy, but you still have to watch out for it at least a little bit. Reese Olsen is still young and building up. Sawyer Gibson Long still young and building up. Matt Manning obviously has not pitched a ton of innings because he's just had consistent injuries, whether it's a foot injury or whether it's shoulder injuries, whatever it is with him, he's been hurt. So you have a bunch of guys, almost your entire rotation. That is, they're going to have to be monitored closely. You don't really have one true workhorse guy who you can count on to throw you north of 150 innings that you you feel really confident. And I think Scooble is going to be that guy, no doubt, but, if there's some injury concern or some injury worry, I understand the idea of keeping seven potential starters in your rotation, which is what they have right now. Like, is that crazy? Maybe they don't no, make a deal.
0: It's not crazy because I think we both know that over the course of a season, typically you use between 13 and 16 starters. That's A. B, you got to kill between 800 and 850 innings from your starters over the yep. course of a season. And if we were having a talk with Scott Harris – I would guess based upon his love of data and his strategy is that's exactly what he would tersely look at the two of us and say is, look guys, I understand you think there's a log jam when the season starts, but I got to figure out how to get 800 to 850 innings. And over the course of 26 weeks, this is how we're going to do it. And these are the guys we're going to do it with. So if somebody has to, spend a few weeks in Toledo, they may not like it, but they may have to do it. And they're more than likely going to get their opportunity during the year. I also think a trade is a possibility also. But I think big picture, that's kind of how they're thinking about it. Now, do I think it – I also think, you know, based upon what we've discussed and the success they had last year, they like to – fashion themselves as a pitcher destination where they rehab arms that seem to have gone off the tracks that previously either had a lot of potential and success or just had a lot of potential and not a lot of success, but they can optimize them. So we'll call it the Michael Lorenzen scholarship in some ways, I think. That's exactly how they see Jack Flaherty. Now they're going to pay $14 million for that opportunity this year. And they only paid $8 million for Michael Lorenzen. They got, you know, a to be determined in quality, seemingly can swing the bat a little bit, but doesn't have a lot of athletic, you know, skill second baseman from the Phillies in exchange for him in 80 good innings. So, I think their expectations for 14 million are way higher than that. But what do we have in Jack Flaherty? We have a a pitcher that, as you mentioned, in his first two years, looked like a top of the rotation starter. Finished sixth in the Cy Young in 2019. Even got MVP votes. And since then, has barely touched anything aside from a COVID season where he was nine and two. But is underlying metrics weren't great so you know there are some concerning things about him he had a lot of opportunity had two good teams this year and didn't show too much let's kind of dig into the numbers okay
1: I mean, Mark, do you think it's all about the slider? I mean, the slider regressed from a 45.2% swing and miss rate in 2019 to a 35.4% swing and miss rate in 2022, and then all the way down to a 26.5% swing and miss rate in 2023. So that's 45% in 2019, 35% in 2022, and 26% in 2023. The slider is not missing as many bats. And then you look at what opponents are doing against it. Look at it in 2023, opponents hit 339 with a 558 slugging percentage off the slider back in 2019, when Jack Flaherty was dominant, they were hitting 184 with a 324 slugging percentage. That was back in 2019. So again, you go from a 324 slug to a 558 slug, and then you're batting you know, 184 all the way up to 339. The slider's getting punished and it's not missing as many bats anymore. Like, is that really where all this starts? And if so, I think that could be encouraging because last I checked, Chris Fetter's pretty good at teaching sliders. I think that's part of the problem.
0: I think the biggest problem, pure and simple, is he's lost all fastball effectiveness and fastball command. I mean, we can start out the easy things to see, which is his walk rate's gone from in years he had – some level of effectiveness of about eight percent, even slightly below eight percent, and last year it was thirteen point one percent so you know Jack Flaherty's just not throwing strikes, and he's giving way too many free passes, which tells you that either he's nibbling way too much or he's just not able to locate in quadrants that get people out so and how do How do we know that just besides the walk rate well. In 2019, based upon how Savant grades productivity of pitches, his fastball was a plus 22 runs. It may have been the best in baseball. It was among the five best. It is since then diminished to where last year his fastball was a minus five runs. It was a a minus eight runs. In 2022, and so the bottom line is he's just not getting people out with his fastball. He allowed a a 324 batting average and 22 against his four seamer last year was 290. And you know, in the famous words of our buddy Mike Faren, fastball command is life. And you know, the bottom line is Jack Flaherty's life is kind of hanging in the balance here because he just can't locate his fastball and you know, besides walking people, it's getting whacked. So the other upsetting aspect of that is there's no diminished velocity here. His velocity is pretty consistent across a seven-year, you know, span of time. Yes, he's had shoulder issues, and that, in fact, is probably a huge contributor to his capacity to locate. But at the end of the day, either he's going to get his fastball under control Or he's going to find himself, you know, probably not throwing a lot of innings after after June because the Tigers have more than enough pitchers or more than enough pitching that they can, you know, go to if he's ineffective and they'll just eat the money.
1: Yeah. Kind of last thing on this topic. And I'm, I'm with you on all of that. I do think the slider, like that stood out to me first and foremost, but I had asked people and one person in particular, smarter than, than both of us from a different organization who, who evaluates. And uh, I mean, man, it's just a really smart person. And I asked this person, I said, okay, look, Jack Flaherty, what's going on? What's the situation? And this person told me it's delivery. It's the delivery. The delivery is messed up. I said, okay, how do you fix it? This person said, I don't know. And to me, that was the scary part, because when I ask this person, hey, how do you fix something? This person normally has a pretty good idea of how to fix it. And the fact that this person had no idea was a little bit shocking. So if it really does come down to something that's delivery based, that's going to fall on Robin Lund, who is all about the biomechanics and how the body moves and, you know, getting him down the hill the right way that's going to be really important because obviously something is not synced up. And, and that was the problem, right? I asked the same person. I said, how about Luis Severino? This was way back, you know, earlier before Luis Severino signed. I said, what about Luis Severino? You know, throws up for nineties. Everything looks really good, but for some reason, just like isn't hitting the spots, isn't consistent. Mentioned that it was delivery based kind of mentioned that it might be something in the back based on video that they've watched and the injury history and, you know, putting some of the pieces together. So it made a lot of sense for Severino, but then asking about Jack Flaherty, it was, I have no idea. It's not obvious to my eye what's going on. So that was a little bit concerning. I think the Tigers have a pretty big task ahead of them. It's going to be a real test for Chris Feder and Robin Lund. If they can get the most out of this guy, if they can get Jack Flaherty back to 2019 version, he's going to be, he's going to be an ace like he is the number one he's the number one pitcher in your rotation i don't know if he ever gets back to that i think you got to try to get him back to being a a, a four in your rotation then you're probably pretty satisfied well here's what i'll say to you ev
0: i can promise you this scott harris has you know not signed anybody for more than 14 million dollars a year so if they were going to spend that kind of money even though it's on a one-year deal i promise you they sat down with Fetter and Lund and looked at a lot of video, broke it down the Lund way. Definitely. And I'm sure I'm sure they have a plan or they wouldn't have signed him. And I'm sure they discussed the plan a little bit without divulging too much with Flaherty that made him encouraged about signing here. So it's not, you know, some mystery plan. So, all right. Let's, let's get to question two of the big two. It's real short. And then we got a guest this week. But uh, what do you think this Flaherty signing means for the Tigers sh- signing Imanaga?
1: Yeah, so Shota Imanaga, obviously Japanese left-handed pitcher. We've talked about him a lot on the podcast. I've written about him a little bit too. The Tigers obviously were interested. I heard about them being interested way back during the GM meetings. That he was somebody that you know they were looking at and they were considering more so than you know Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who's maybe going to get more than three hundred million dollars, which is crazy. And the market going up for Yamamoto means the market is going up for Shota Imanaga. So. As much as the Tigers maybe were interested, I don't know how serious that interest was, but they had at least kicked the tires on maybe going after Shota Imanaga. The fact that Yamamoto's market is going skyrocketing. I mean, it's just going up and it could be $300 million that he gets. If that happens, you better believe Imanaga is getting north of $100 million. Now, one team that I had talked to had him tabbed at you know, four years, $58 million, which is $14 million average annual value. That's basically what Erod was making. Okay, For, That's basically what Eduardo Rodriguez was making with the Tigers. A, a little bit less on the back end of his contract, but still, that's basically Erod range. But if Imanaga is around four and 80, that's 20 million AAV. that's actually a lot different. Right. Or if it's five and a hundred, that's still 20 million AAV while tacking on that extra year. So I think at 14 million AAV for four years, the potential value might've been worth the risk for the Tigers. Again, that's just a little bit less than what Erod was going to make. And the Tigers would have been happy if he had stayed for the remaining three years, 49 million, which was, you know, $16 million AAV, but at 20 million AAV, for four or five years I think the potential value probably isn't worth the risk for the Tigers which is why one they were aggressive in trying to lock down Luis Severino and then obviously went out and just got Jack Flaherty and and locked that down so Shota Imanaga probably doesn't make sense for the Tigers again a lot of teams are already talking about Imanaga as the fallback option for Yamamoto so you're looking at teams like the Mets could be in on him the Yankees could be on him the Red Sox the Dodgers like there are a lot of like big market teams that could be in on Imanaga as a fallback option for Yamamoto. And the market for Imanaga continues to skyrocket because the market for Yamamoto is skyrocketing. Yamamoto has to sign first, but once that happens, a lot of teams are going to be after Imanaga. I think the Tigers realized that probably pretty early on and pivoted at that point. So, Again, I don't see them taking that risk, especially when you consider that Imanaga, you know, has never pitched in the United States, right? He comes from a different league. The Tigers haven't scouted Japan as heavily as a lot of these other teams have, and they want to do more of that, but they haven't done that enough, you know, to this point. So they haven't, it's not like they've had eyes on him in the same way that other, you know, teams have. So I think that's worth noting and something to monitor still, but at the same time, I really don't see Imanaga signing with the Tigers anymore or the Tigers really making a strong push for Imanaga now that Flaherty is in the fold. I'll give a shorter answer than you. They're not
0: signing them now. Period. (laughs) Let's take a break. (laughs) All right. We have, I want to set this up for everybody so they know. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Carlos from the Free Press. He wrote an article about AJ Hinch signing. And we're going to get to that when we come back in a minute.
1: And we're back. We'd like to introduce Carlos Menares, a Detroit Free Press columnist. Wrote a story about A.J. Hinch, the contract extension, Scott Harris. To kind of introduce that topic, as we know, the Tigers have signed manager A.J. Hinch to a long term contract extension that was announced at the winter meetings by president of baseball operations, Scott Harris. Scott Harris approached A.J. Hinch after the 2023 season and they started talking. About an extension and the negotiations were sparked at that point. And then about a week later, they completed um, the extension. The terms of the contracts were not disclosed. We know A.J. Hinch was under contract um, initially until 2025. So who knows how long that's going to be. But he was already under contract for two more years. Now he gets the contract extension tacked on. Carlos, thank you for joining us. We are very excited to hear from you. Can you explain kind of
2: the story that you wrote and the the thought process behind it? Yeah, that's that's the the thing with as you mentioned with the contract that's problematic for me is just that you did it a little bit too early you did it a year ahead of time and you don't want him to be a lame duck right you don't want him going into the last year without a contract i think alex core is facing something similar with the red Sox, so you don't want that situation i, I completely get that but two years in advance two years ahead of time that's where i have the problem i, I think kinch is a good manager it's hard to quantify how much of a difference he's made exactly, but he so certainly has a winning track record with the Astros. He hasn't quite done as much as maybe we would have hoped in three years with the Tigers, but, you know, it's a rebuild. You got Scott Harris coming in. There's going to be some time to for acclimation, but you could have done this next year. You know, that's what I just don't understand is you jumped the gun, and the other thing that was weird is you waited a month to announce this, and you do it in Nashville. You do it three states away. if you're really behind this decision and this commitment, do it in Detroit. You know, do it here. Do it at the Tiger Club, Motor City Casino, whatever they call it now at the at Comerica. Have the big handshake moment. Let people ask their questions. And annoying people like me are going to ask, why? It's so early. And Maybe they, that's what they wanted to avoid. But, you know, stand behind it in a way and let people you know, either celebrate it or criticize it or whatever it is. And I think it would have played better here. It would have felt more like they were fully behind this, fully fully committed to this. It just would have been a better move, I think, to have done it here. So that was a, that was a strange part to me. So I, I still think I, at the end of the day, I think you probably would have, unless something really, really goes bad next year, which is another reason you don't jump the gun if you don't have to. But chances are they're going to be maybe close to the mix for a playoff spot on the central right. Maybe they're going to finish somewhere. Maybe they finished second last year. Maybe they can do something like that. Then you probably extend them. There's no problem with that. Okay, hey, you know we're, we're, we're doing better. We're bringing guys along. But I think two years was just too early. It's just strange to do it in Nashville rather than Detroit. And then to do it a month later. Just a lot of weird things. I found it
1: fascinating being inside that room. What had happened was a fellow reporter asked, you know, one of the PR folks in the room, are you putting this out on Twitter? Is, are you guys putting this out there right now or can we wait? <laughs> no, we're not putting it out there. It, it never went out on Twitter. It was never announced by the Tigers. It was announced by the group of beat writers, which that's how they wanted to do it. But to your point, Carlos, that was really fascinating that there wasn't even a tweet saying that the Tigers have extended, you know, manager AJ Hinch. So not only was there not a press conference in Detroit, there wasn't even a tweet from the Tigers about it. Mark, I know you have some interesting you know, thoughts on this. And you know we both respect A.J. Hinch for sure. And I know Carlos does as well. We think that A.J. Hinch is one of the best managers in the game for reasons that we've explained over and over again in the past. But Mark, when you saw this column and, and kind of as you reflect on the contract extension, what do you think about it? Well, I actually have two
0: thoughts that are polar opposites (laughs) on each side of this discussion, which is a, from a baseball standpoint, I thought it was a great move. And, you know, I think anyone that follows what I have to say knows I rarely say anything the Tigers do is a great move. So, you know, I, I think AJ Hinch is by far the most stable and attractive thing the Detroit Tigers have going right now. So locking them up, Solid idea from a baseball standpoint. I think what Carlos brings up is absolutely spot on. Why the heck are you doing this in Nashville a month after you did it? It, it just screams strange. It screams a lot of things that I've thought about what the Tigers front office, including the ownership Does where you just scratch your head and go, What are you guys doing? You're extending your manager and you're announcing it a month after you did it at the winter meetings in Nashville, where only the beat writers are there and you're not celebrating it, you're not anyone asking it, you know, you're not being up front with your own city and the media in your city. It's just screams strange. That's all I can say to it. And, and it, here's the other thing. And it's like we discussed on our pod this week. I complimented the Tigers because I think they've done a lot of things that were the easy things and they've done them well. And there's a lot to be said for you know organizations doing easy things well. There's so many that don't do them well. How hard was it to have a press conference in Detroit at Comerica and celebrate you extended one of the best managers in baseball. I think Carlos' point is spot on. It just is
1: – it's it's a bizarre look. really is. So, so know, that's kind of how I feel about it. So, make it make sense, Carlos, and Mark, and, and myself as well, as we sit here and discuss, like, why would this be the case? And, look, I do want to tip the cap to Scott Harris with the fact that he's, you know, went out and extended – AJ Hinch before Craig Council got his contract. I mean, if Craig Council gets that contract first, and then you go back and you talk to AJ Hinch, you have to pay him a lot more money. We know what Craig Council got, and it was a ton; it was record-setting. So, I do think from a baseball standpoint, if you're if you were going to extend him, it might have been smart to do it the way, but at the time that they did, considering what Council you know got essentially right. I mean, they went and they paid him, and AJ Hinch would have gotten paid too. But in this case. Getting that extension before the council deal probably benefits the Tigers and how much they're paying Hinch. So I think that was a smart move. But again, like make it make sense for me. Why would they not do this in Detroit? I just don't get it. Does it just have to do with the fact that AJ Hinch hasn't won anything and you usually extend winners and AJ Hinch has not been a winner since he has come to Detroit? Say what you want. Maybe that's the front office not giving the pieces that he needs.
2: I can understand that argument. But at the same time, the point is, he still hasn't won anything here in Detroit. Yeah, I think that um, it's almost It feels like they want to be a little pregnant. You know, like it's just like we don't. We don't want to fully commit to this. Uh, let's just. Let's kind of slide this in under the radar. And also, if you think it's such a great um, financial move, like let's get ahead of whatever, you know, council setting the market for managers, why don't you leak the terms in a little bit and say, wow, they got a good deal on Hinge." And honestly, managers' salaries are not that enormous. It's not like they're going to make that much of a difference of, you know, nobody's making 20 mil out there as a manager. So what's the difference of a few million dollars here and there Four inch. And, you know, you can also fire somebody whenever you want with a manager. I don't know that Chris Illich wants to throw money away necessarily on on salaries for managers and getting rid of somebody. But you can always pivot easily. And you're not locked. In, it's not like hobby Bias where you're locked into a contract with him for however many years. It just seems weird that none of that is out there. The, the length of the, it's a long term, you know, whatever. What does that mean? I don't know. Marriage is long term, right? I mean... Some of us have been married for a long time, for 40 years, you know, I hear. So uh, yeah, there you go. (laughs) You never know. But yeah, it's just, and you know what, here's the thing. I don't know exactly what their thinking was, who influenced these decisions on where to make this announcement and how much to get out there. But I think generally it would have been celebrated because Hinch has a good relationship, I think, with the media in Detroit. You know, it's not acrimonious. It's not... It's it's good. It's not super warm and fuzzy, but people understand who he is. He communicates well. I think it would have been fine, and it would have been one of these, you know, TV photo op moments. The and and one thing I kind of heard from the team a little bit from from someone with the team is just that there was a run on managers this year. So this is the good. This is a good time to 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 get them to lock them up to to commit to him, whatever. Because there's a run on managers, like you yeah, but but you didn't have to, you didn't have to do that. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, would the market, if Hinch, if they finish third next year and you have to make a decision next year before he goes into a, a lame duck year, I don't know. I mean, are people really banging down AJ Hinch's door? I think he's a good manager, but the whole scandal thing is still probably out there for some teams. There's a whole division that he's dead to for sure and the Dodgers and whatever. So I don't know, but it's, it just seemed to, it. There's a lot of weird aspects to this.
1: Well, the run on managers is interesting because they approached him the day after the season ended. So it wasn't even really clear who would be out there. I know you can always right. forecast and you can look ahead, but nobody thought that Craig council was going to leave the brewers for the Cubs. Like that wasn't on everybody's, you know, bingo card that they were just waiting to check <laughs> off as the off season came around. And then turns out, You know, council leaves and he gets a five-year, you know, $40 million contract from the Cubs. Maybe the Tigers got such a steal that they didn't want to put the numbers out there because maybe A.J. Hinch would have been embarrassed or something like that. I I don't really know. But it it, it's fascinating that the whole run on managers was maybe something that was described to you. I'm not so sure about that. Again, I thought it was a smart baseball move, both financially and because you're locking up a good manager, but to Me, I just keep going back to why wasn't there a press conference? Why wasn't there why wasn't this made a, a huge deal? I mean, again, it's not like AJ Hinch has any bad blood with any media members, like, not at all. Like, he's great. Also, with the fans, I think they really appreciate him too. I think he is generally liked among the fans the way that he, you know, speaks in the post game press conferences, the way that he talks pre game, the way that he's handled situations like Miguel Cabrera, right? I mean, he, he handled that beautifully you know he he, i don't think anybody could have handled that better than he did and he did a great job so i think generally amongst fans and media people and just kind of the community as a whole he's generally liked why not put him out in front why not why not put chris ellich scott harris and aj hinch you know up there and have him talk i I just don't really get that piece of it i had a thought about this it's totally
0: you know motivated by paranoia which They've had plenty of paranoia down at Comerica over the last seven, eight years, but may have something to do. And this would be truly, you know, ridiculous that they felt this way. But remember they did extend Al Avila early and I think Al probably is going to be collecting, you know, salary for quite some time down in Florida after they realized they were a little aggressive in believing that team build part of the story. And maybe they felt a little reluctant to and you know, announce this, you know, in a similar fashion. I think it's still ridiculous. And I would have been promoting the entire story. Stability, unity, kind of a lot of things they said in Nashville. But still, the fact they didn't do it here is really, really bizarre, I got to tell you.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe. And kind of, kind of my last thought on this, too, is I wonder how much of it is driven by you know, Chris Illich, the owner, he's somebody that obviously was very, very, very close with Al Avila, the, the whole Illich family was. And and he's close to A.J. Hinch too. I know A.J. Hinch had a pretty big hand in hiring Scott Harris, and that's pretty rare. You don't see that a lot of times from a manager. And so obviously the relationship between A.J. Hinch and Chris Illich is real. That's there. Maybe that had, you know. Something to do with why this happened now, as opposed to a year down the road, or maybe this is the main reason why this happened at all. I mean, I I, I could definitely see that considering the relationship that
2: Illich and, and Hinch have. Well, here's here's the that's a good point about Illich. And imagine this, you're AJ Hinch, right? You're the face of this team on a day-to-day basis in a very real way. You're the leader of this team in many ways. And you're ultimate boss of your company is Chris Illich. You get extended. There's an announcement. Your boss isn't there. What would it feel like if you're, you're not celebrated on a day where your organization, your business decides to, you know, we're, we're promoting Evan Petzold to sports editor, but Mr. Gannett is not there today for some reason. Like what, you know, it's it's, or we're giving you a contract extension. And your boss isn't, your ultimate boss is not there. That That's kind of weird, you know, which is, again, part of the whole photo op thing is you throw everybody up there. And let's, let's be real, too, and just real, this is maybe too inside baseball for journalism, but you throw Chris Hillich up there, you throw Scott Harris up there, you throw A.J. Hinch at Comerica Park, the Hinch stuff will be definitely part of a big part of the news but people also get some questions in for scott harris that's if the tigers allow it and don't tell us what questions we can ask or don't ask but and then you also get chris illich up there and you can ask a couple questions so it would kind of be a little cornucopia of tigers accessibility you know access and and the hinge thing is rolled in there and they're all good talkers they can promote this very well they can spin it very well you know and and we can see we don't get enough the general media, the non-beat people don't get enough opportunities to see Hinch and Scott Harris talk much or interact much. Most people don't got to go to spring training where you see that a little bit more. So that would be that would be a really good opportunity. So I I think that was a miscalculation. And then you throw all these things in, but the whole out of thing, and and Mark, your your point is good that you know this organization is very attuned to criticism. They're they're touchy about things and that's fully their right. But if they feel that there were there's been criticism out there about, you know, Hinch and he hasn't won enough and and I don't know. I mean, you can pick and choose whatever you want on the internet and what people are praising and what they're critical of. And if they happen to be a little too sensitive to criticism and Hinch hasn't done anything and they have he hasn't improved hobby bias and you know the bullpen's been a mess and this and that, whatever, then they may feel the the people who make these decisions about when and where we're going to release this information may say we're going to catch too much flack here and we don't want that and maybe Hinch had a part of that like i don't want to be taking questions from a bunch of people about why haven't you won and so you don't know what but it, but there's something more at play than just you know why this happened a month later because there were maybe uh, they expected a run on managers or it turned out they were run on managers what a great idea it was but It's, it's very odd, but now, you know, in a way they've, they've dodged the bullet, right? They did it in kind of the shadow of secrecy in the winter meetings. Nobody's going to ask about it again, really until spring training. And even then nobody's going to ask about it. So if they wanted to dodge a bullet in a way, they pretty much did.
0: Well, you, you know, at least now the two of you have, if you want to write about it, it's a good question. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no doubt no doubt Carlos thank you so much for coming on man it's always a pleasure to have you and you know we love your show we listen to it all the time and uh, for you to come on our show that means a ton so thanks for being with us oh my pleasure thanks for having me guys we'll do it again thanks Carlos
0: I hope you enjoyed the perspective that Carlos brought to the Hinch signing I think Evan and I agree with most of what he brought up about how they broke it not necessarily disagreeing that it was a good signing. We got more things to talk about before we do that. We're going to take our last break. We'll be back. All right. So let's get to some fun tiger stuff. Tiger signed Andrew Chafin wasn't like we didn't say that that was a good possibility. We both are big Andrew Chafin fans. I'm hoping maybe we go visit him at the campground and check out the RV because, damn, that's pretty cool. Guy lives in an RV for almost the entire baseball season, halfway between his farm and Comerica Park. Got to like that guy. Tigers guarantee him $4.7 Could be around for two years. You had a long talk with him. There was a press conference. What'd you learn?
1: Yeah, a lot of good things coming out of the press conference with Andrew Chafin. First and foremost, he already has his camping spot reserved for the 2024 season. It's 45 minutes away from Comerica Park and 105 minutes away from his family farm, wife and three kids in Ohio. He is currently on his family farm building a new house, preparing to open a wedding venue and fixing a go-kart. So those are the things that Andrew Chafin has been working on recently. He wakes up around 4 a.m. every day, sneaks off into his shop for a few cups of coffee, goes through the emails, and then he gets to work. He likes to be with his wife inside the home when the kids are getting up and sometimes he'll go out and run errands, but he's always home at 4 p.m. for dinner with the family. But most of the time he is working on his projects. Like this guy literally bought a dump truck and an excavator because he didn't want to pay somebody to move dirt from the backyard to the front yard as he is building his new house. So that's Andrew Chafin in a nutshell. But I think this was really important to note is Andrew Chafin is going to Kent State, his alma mater for workouts this off season. And it's the first time he's doing that. Andrew Chafin never throws a baseball in the off season. Like, like until this off season never throws a baseball comes to spring training with zero pitches on the left arm uh, for the year. Right? Like that, that's, that's his mileage, right? Is zero every year coming to spring training. And for the first time, he's going to throw bullpens before spring training. He's also going up to Kent state right now and he's not doing any lifting. He doesn't lift weights. He, he says that that's not good for him. He doesn't like the lift, but what he does like to do, is he likes to do bodyweight exercises. So he's doing that now up at Kent State. So it sounds like that's like a positive development because look, if you remember back in 2022, he showed up to spring training after the lockout, suffered a groin injury before opening day, and he didn't make his Tigers debut until April 27th. And Scott Harris and AJ Hinch they talked to Andrew Chafin about, look, it's important that we get off to a fast start. We have struggled to get out of the gate and win games early in the season over the past two years. We're going to need everybody healthy. We need as many guys as we can ready to go and ready to pitch. And Andrew Chafin seemed to take that to heart. And so, yeah, he's going to Kent State now for workouts, and he's going to come to spring training probably better conditioned than he has at any point before in his career.
0: Well, I think as we've discussed many times, we're both Andrew Chafin fans. And as we get older, it's harder to get in shape. And the idea that he's actually – Going to make a concerted effort to do that this offseason, I think is a good thing because both of us have discussed many times about Andrew Chafin. He is a leverage reliever, it is something the Tigers need. He's probably going to appear between 60 and 70 times next year if he's healthy in important situations. So the idea he's prepping for that, got to love it. Looking forward to it. And I do think, knowing me, that you and I should get in the car and go visit him because I want to see the excavation. I want to see the house built. I want to see the wedding facility being built. I may have a few side comments and suggestions. I think we and
1: Andrew Chafin just seems like the kind of guy we should go and visit. So, hey, maybe we could do a podcast live from the Chafin family farms. How about that? <laughs> at or, least or, from, or from the RV or from the RV campground during the season. Maybe we can pick one of the two at, at least an interview
0: and a video. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, driving an excavator, especially in open spaces, pretty fun. So, all for it. Um, like I said, I think both of us are pretty big fans of the signing and glad to see he's prepping for the season. All right, let's move on to something else. You did a pretty under the radar, interesting interview last week with Ryan Kreidler and a lot of people. Ryan Kreidler, they might have Ryan Kreidler fatigue. He's not been healthy a lot lately, the past couple of years. But weirdly, Ryan Kreidler has shown some things that are very, what I will refer to as A.J. Hinch centric. And there may be some underlying value. Maybe we're selling Ryan Kreidler short that he could be an under the radar contributor to the 2024 Tigers. First of all, And we could argue this, aside from Javier Baez, Ryan Kreidler is probably the Tigers' best defensive infielder. Okay?
1: If it weren't for Javier Baez, like if there was a pecking order with who could play shortstop, it's Javier Baez, then it's Ryan Kreidler.
0: And he's also pretty damn good at third and second, too. Okay? Indeed. Ryan Kreidler is a hitter? Not overly exciting, but weirdly has more power than you think. Can draw a walk has some swing and miss issues for sure. But as a secondary bench piece, A.J. Hinch almost always prioritizes defense. The fact that he plays shortstop, a huge, huge benefit. And like I said, there's some power in that bat, more than zero for sure, more than Matt Veerling For sure. So I'll be interested to see how his season works out. Wouldn't be shocked to see him play more third base than people are thinking and could be a pretty
1: useful piece. You talk to him. Tell us what you found. Before we get into that, what do you think about the fact that he played 113 innings in center field and he's a right handed hitter? Maybe. Does that help his uh, case? I think it does. I think that's part of the Zach McKinsky,
0: you know, way of doing things. Now, if you play for AJ Hinch, if you're going to be a utility guy, you got to be able to play, you know, six, seven, eight spots. And he loves the versatility. He loves guys that can play defense and he loves guys that are good athletes. So. I think- and that's why
1: I think maybe he could be a fit, right? The fact that he could go out there and he could play center field if he needed to him in a pinch, you know, that's fine. Or if, Parker Meadows, for some reason, isn't able to go that day or something's going on. You could throw a guy like Ryan Kragler out there and he's probably going to be all right. And I think that's good to know as well. But the infield defense obviously is stellar. This is a guy who you remember back in 2021, he hit 270 with 22 home runs for double A, Erie and triple A Toledo. And he was like a guy on the rise. He was moving up with Spencer Torkelson, with Riley Green. He was in that conversation and a part of that group at that time. The Tigers gave him an opportunity, made the opening day roster last season and was sent down in April. The Tigers wanted to get his bat going. And then once that happened, things kind of fell apart. He banged his knee. Then when he was rehabbing the knee, he ended up with a sports hernia that he found out about and had to get core muscle surgery. Also had hand surgery back in 2022 and missed a lot of time. Hasn't gotten a ton of opportunities at the big league level, but in his 39 games, he hasn't hit. So the Tigers obviously need his bat to get going at the big league level when he gets another opportunity up there. The problem is, is like, is he going to get that opportunity? There's a lot of depth on the roster when you look at guys like McKinstry in the mix and Andy Abanez, even a Matt Bierling, who's probably going to be their opening day third baseman when it really comes down to it. We can talk about that at a different time mark. I don't want to argue today. But point is, there's a lot of depth in that infield room, in that roving kind of last spot on the roster. It's going to be a real battle for him. But I also think inside the clubhouse, he's a great guy. Like he's somebody that you want around. He talked a lot about going down to the Florida Complex League and playing some FCL games as he was rehab. And that was like his first step. He was just DHing. And then he played some games in Lakeland and played some games in West Michigan. He talked a lot about reflecting on his journey through the minors and how nice it is to have a, a clubhouse and play, you know, up north where it's not super hot. And he said, you know, there's a reason why the, you know, Miami Marlins and the Tampa Bay Rays have a dome, because it's hot down in Florida, you know, in, in the summer. And he got to play in the FCL for the first time in his life and experience like the lowest level of the minor leagues. He got to watch, you know, Max Clark and Kevin McGonigal compare those guys to what he saw from Riley Green in 2019 when it comes to the potential and the way that they, you know, carried themselves as young prospects first time in pro ball. He's also hitting with Mark Trumbo this offseason, trying to be more athletic in his swing. He previously removed all the athleticism from his swing. With his old hitting coach, Doug Lotta, probably won't be as stiff and quiet in the box. He wants to have a good blend of both, you know, still quiet, but also athletic enough that he's able to attack the baseball and, and have some power. He had that in 2021 and then kind of took it to an extreme in 2022 and 2023 because it worked for him a little bit in 21. So now he's trying to be a little bit more athletic in the box. I think that's a good thing. There's a lot that Ryan Crugler brings behind the scenes and on the field. I think he'd be great if he could make the team and if he could hit a little bit. I think he'd be good for the chemistry. He'd be great in that clubhouse. The question is really just going to be you know, at 26 years old, coming off of two surgeries and back-to-back years, is this guy really going to be able to put it together or does he ultimately flame out? Well,
0: 26 years old for a
1: utility player is not old.
0: So I doubt he breaks spring training with the team. They probably want to to get, you know... 80, a hundred, 120 at bats in Toledo, see how it looks. But I think it's somebody that we should pay attention to. First and foremost, he has to be healthy. Ryan Kreidler hasn't been healthy a lot lately. So, but it is a name to watch. It is somebody that can contribute. And it is somebody that was, you know, a pretty big part of the clubhouse mix besides just being an interesting player. And I don't think we can ever write off the defense. So, I wanted to share with everybody as we head into the end of the year, we got, you know, I've been encouraging Evan. I know he's already checked in on Casey Mize. He'll check in again after the first of the year. I'm going to see if we can check in on uh, Riley Green. I've seen some things about Riley. He looked bigger. He kind of almost looks scary, (laughs) athletic and good in some of the videos I've seen of him hitting. We need to check in and see how healthy and, how he's looking. He's always the stout, straw that stirs the drink and we need to make sure he's healthy. Period. End of story. Going to play left, going to try to diminish some of the risk he takes every day, but that's the bat that makes everything else happen. So I'm sure you'll touch base with him after the first of the year. We're going to have some other interviews, got some good guests lined up, but what do
1: you got planned for Christmas day, my man? Just a lot of family stuff, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, a lot of time spent with immediate family, Um, both my family and then Savannah's family, obviously. So we just like to keep it local around here for those two days, but it's a lot of fun getting together with family and and spending good time together. Going to church, Savannah and I always do that. So yeah, church, family time, that's pretty much it. How about you? Well, going to spend Christmas Day
0: with my daughter-in-law's family like we always do. We had strict instructions about what and how much to buy the grandchild. I, of course, ended up going to Target one day to pick up a few things that were not related to presents, and I ended up spending a whole bunch of money as I perused the aisles buying my grandchild a bunch of things he didn't need and I'll try to see if I can keep my son and daughter-in-law from admonishing me from buying way too many things that you know our grandchild doesn't need but what's a grandparent supposed to do these these are your jobs so looking forward to spending time with my family you know my beautiful wife and my 85 year old mother and it's always a good time of year we got new years after um at some point in time we might even see snow on the ground in michigan and uh, i won't be taking five mile walks outside in the last three weeks of
1: december i'm trying to get up north to go skiing and i want some good snow i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of waiting on it man i'm getting a little nervous i mean it's mid-december now and and nothing's sticking so
0: well you know i've told the story and i'll finish up with this. My father used to have a funny way of looking at wintertime, which was if on the date of January 15th, there was no snow on the ground, he would immediately go into the mode of he did not care what happened after January 15th because he knew within 60 days it was going to be the middle of March and basically nothing bad could happen anymore to winter once it got to the middle of March. So no matter how much snow you had between, you know, November... 25th and January 15th, if it was melted and gone, he figured there was nothing they could do to him that was bad about winter. Now we've had, you know, February in Michigan is like 75 days long. It's what it always feels like. And I've always tried to plan some vacations in February now because it's, it's just so terrible here. But we're looking pretty good on the snow aspect of things i mean it's supposed to be like 45 degrees on christmas day so i run out
1: i run out of time though mark because i get out of here mid-february to head down to lakeland for spring training so i i run out of time to go skiing so we need some snow soon let's let's get Mm. that let's get that going I'm feeling so
0: bad for Evan Petzel that he has to go down to Florida for five weeks in the middle of February. It's just I'm getting my violin out, my mini violin. All right, everybody, I hope you have a beautiful holiday with your family. We don't expect too much to happen in Tiger Baseball. The heck, they closed down the major league offices here this week, so I don't expect too many signings or free agent activity, although we might see Yamamoto sign. But for my partner, Evan Petzold, uh, I'd like to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas. We'll probably be back maybe next Tuesday because we're not going to record on Christmas Day because we're not insane. So as I said, for my partner, Evan Petzold, I'd like to wish you a happy holiday and peace.